Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, can I help you find something? Librarians specialize in helping you find what you were looking for, and sometimes what you didn't know you were looking for. Thank you for joining me as I talk to my guests about all things library, including the books inside them. I'm Julie Chavez, and this is Ask a Librarian. Michelle Nudson is the New York Times best-selling author of 50 books for young readers of all ages, including the award-winning picture book, Library Lion, which was selected by Time Magazine as one of the 100 best children's books of all time. Her other books include the picture book Marilyn's Monster and the novels The Dragon of Trillian and Evil Librarian, her young adult choice. Michelle also works as a freelance editor and writing teacher and is a member of the Writing for Young People MFA faculty at Lesley University. She lives in Brooklyn, New York, and she doesn't like spiders. Here's my conversation with Michelle. Hi, Michelle. It's so nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Thanks for being with me today. I'm so thrilled because I originally thought of you, of course, because of Library Lion, which I'm sure is a very common occurrence for you because I was just looking it up and seeing that is your most popular picture book, I would say. Definitely. Yes. And what, what year did you write that? Oh gosh. It came out in 2006. I wrote it in 2002, (laughs) but it came out in 2006. And how did you come up with the idea for that? You know, I really should have a better answer for this question by now. (laughs) I don't really know. I know some of the elements that went into it. I was working in a library. I've worked in libraries on and off for many years of my life. And This was at the Cornell University Library in Ithaca, New York, which was my favorite job ever, ever in my life. And one of my jobs as a supervisor, I was an evening and weekend supervisor. So I worked the circulation desk, I helped with reserve. And then at the end of the night, we had to go around the whole library to make sure no students were like sleeping or trying to stay in after hours or, you know, there were no security issues. Sure. It's just a beautiful, I mean, there's so many libraries at Cornell, but I worked in Olin and Uris and Uris Library is like the clock tower library and it's gorgeous. And it's such a beautiful, weird building. And so walking through it, I just started to feel like I really wanted to write a library story. And at first I wanted it to be a spooky story because it would get kind of spooky walking around there at like two o'clock in the morning and it's like shadowy and there's little tiny staircases but it wasn't happening. And I think that's because it was such a happy, joyous place for me that I, my brain was not cooperating with writing like a scary story about the library. So I still had library story kind of in my head, but I didn't know what it was going to be about. Okay. And then the other thing that came together with that was we would get animals in the library all the time. Like birds would fly in, people's dogs would come in. We had mice occasionally, you know, like just random animals. And so I think that was what initially started the idea of like, you know, what if some 
really unusual animal came to the library. Like what would happen? What would everybody do? And it kind of spiraled from there, I think. <laughs> <That's> a, <laughs> I love that perspective on it. And you're right. I had never thought about that before, how so much of not only the space, but your feelings in it would inform your writing. So <laughs> it wasn't a spooky place for you. So you couldn't write it as a spooky place. Right. Interesting. So it's on the list of best children's books of all time from Time Magazine, the 100 best. Does that feel like it really changes your everyday life? I mean, when you walk down the street, is it just <laughs> people flocking to you <laughs> and uh, crowds of screaming? Strangely, no. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure why not, but no, I've still been able to live a, a pretty low profile life. And, Thank goodness. But it, I mean, that was a pretty, like that, that was an amazing, amazing experience for that to happen. And it's still nice. I get to get to say it and list it on things. You know? Yes. Oh, I would put it on everything. You should wear a t-shirt with it down the street. Good wear. Then people <laughs> talk to me. Yes. Okay. I see, I'm seeing a path forward to your fame. We're <laughs> going to make it all happen. It's going to be great. I think, well, and personally, I have to say, I have such a tender spot for Library Lion for that specific book because we had moved to California in 2014, didn't, you know, you're in a new place and you have to reset. And my son was in second grade and the other one was in kindergarten at the time. So the second grader went to the library and that was the book he brought home because the librarian at the time had read them Library Lion aloud. So he brought it home and I read it to him and I immediately bought our own copy because I loved it. And now I am the librarian at that same school and I read it to the kids all the time. Oh. So it just, it has such a special place in my heart, especially because I think you did such a wonderful job in it of creating space for a lot of teachable moments that are never heavy handed. It's beautifully written. I love the illustrations. I, I can't say enough good things about that book. So, but I have to turn and say that when I was researching for the podcast, I was laughing because I think, gosh, Library Lion, what a heartwarming book. And then I looked through all of your other books and I had no idea that I would be coming upon <laughs> the Evil Librarian trilogy, I should say. I am three quarters of the way through the first book and I love it. It's hey. so well done. Thank you. That was a fun story. Now, okay. And, and now I'm getting out of order, but tell me, so you worked in libraries. What was your first job? How did you kind of end up starting to write? Have you always been in that sphere? Yes. Sorry. You're going to probably hear New York city sounds behind me. I can't, I can't help it. It's nice. It's, <laughs> an, right it's a natural soundscape. It works. I can picture the cabs shooting by right now. <laughs> yeah. I was always, always interested in writing since I was little. I wrote poems first. I cannot write poems now, but I mean, I, I can, sure. I can write a poem. Nobody would probably want to read it, but I, <laughs> but I just, I really enjoy, I've enjoyed making up things. I used to make up plays that I would then make my friends perform in front of the class. They were yes. good. Friends. Very that's, good. <laughs> that is, that's good friendship. Are they still friends? They are. They are still friends. I mean, those are your friends for life, right? The ones that you can like embarrass in front of all of their classmates and they stick by you. That is a true test, and I, I, I support it. <laughs> but there was always a lot of, like, making up stories and trying to 
know. I just, I really, I enjoyed playing with language like from an early age. So it was always sort of in my head that I enjoyed it. And then I think it was probably middle school when I started to realize like, oh, that's a job you could have, right? Like you could, you could be a person who writes books. Yes. And that was when I started, like I, I liked reading, but I didn't really become a reader until around junior high. And that was fantasy novels. Fantasy novels is what sucked me in. And that was all I wanted to do. I wanted to grow up and write big, fat, like doorstopper, epic fantasy novels. That was my goal. And you do have a middle grade series that is fantasy that I'm going to pick up for our library, but tell me about that. So you started writing, was that early in the process? That was published after some of your other work, correct? Yes. Okay. I have a lot of early books that are like very small, like board books and uh, coloring books and early readers. I mean, sort of a backwards way to, <laughs> my career has been kind of all over the place, but I, I fell into children's books sort of by accident because I was on that like fantasy writer trajectory and okay. then I graduated from college as an English major with no job. And I knew that I had to find some way to pay bills and stuff like until I could be a writer. So I just started applying for every job that had anything to do with writing, like marketing jobs and editing jobs and writing jobs. And there was an opening at Random House Children's Books for an editorial assistant. And I went in and I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say this, but I basically lied that I had this deep, in, like longstanding interest in children's literature. <laughs> and I had taken one children's literature course in college, which I think helped. I think that counts. Long-standing love. Yes. A semester I, done. Yeah. I don't, I, I want to believe that my future boss recognized that I was going to fit really well because once I got there, I loved it. I loved it. And like, that was when, uh, 1995. Okay. So, so since then I've been writing for kids and it, it's all the things I love about writing fantasy because you can, you can do anything. And I do, like you said, I do have a fantasy series. I'm working on another one now. Well, another, another book. I don't know if it's going to be a series, but I, so far, none of my series were planned as series. I was like, oh, this is a standalone book. And then there were two more. So who knows? I don't even pretend to know at this point. But when you write for kids, you can do all the things that I loved about fantasy and you can write for all different ages. So like, I don't know, there's, there's in a way it's, it's almost a wider field because you can do so many different kinds of things. And I, re I really just took, I mean, I loved it instantly and was very lucky with the people I got to work with and the books I got to work on. And so kind of learned all about writing for children while I was learning how to edit books for children and all of that sort of happened at the same time. What a gift. It sounds like you were in the perfect place at the perfect time. I really was. Like I, I feel very lucky for the it, I mean, it was such a happy accident and it, and it literally changed the whole course of my life. So I'm very grateful all the time. That's so interesting to hear about how I'm always very intrigued by the turns of people's lives, right? The little kind of, they're small decisions, but then they end up being the huge decisions that put you on a different trajectory. So I, well, I, for one, am very thankful that you write children's books. <laughs> I also love Big Mean Mike. Because I think I love the story, but I also love the bunnies in it. They are so cute. I have to say, I wrote, and you probably know some of this. I don't know if all your listeners would know this, but often on picture books, you know, the writer and illustrator don't actually get to work together. It's a, it's a weird, separate collaboration. Yes. Um, and so I don't, 
normally reach out to the illustrator, even if it's some, like Marilyn's Monster was illustrated by Matt Phelan, who was already my friend at that point. And I stayed like out of his way. But for, for Big Mean Mike, I have oh, wow. a very beat up copy that I have right here. But these are the bunnies. Yes. And for anyone who hasn't seen them. But I loved the bunny sketches so much. I, I wrote to my editor and I was like, is it okay if I write to Scott Magoon to just tell him how much I love them? <laughs> I mean, they-, they did. They said, okay. yeah, Scott is a lovely, wonderful person. And he was happy to hear from me. And it was really, it's such a, it's one of the best parts. Uh, there's so many best parts, but one of the best parts about writing picture books is, how do I say this? So it's, it's a hard part to get used to. And I have students, you know, who are writing picture books and who can't get used to the idea that like, wait, I can't control what's in the illustrations. And like, no, you can't. Your job is to sort of leave all of that open and let the illustrator come in and tell their part of the story. But once you accept that and sort of embrace it, it's so wonderful. So especially like the first time you see sketches and you realize like how, mu- how much they're deepening the story, this whole other layer of things can be happening in the artwork it's really great. I've been so lucky with all of my illustrators too, which is, there's a lot of luck that goes into all. <laughs> well, it's true that collaboration, it, it has to work, but also it's a credit to how many talented illustrators there are, mm-hmm. right? That they are able to pull so much from the text and then put their spin on it. I find that to be endlessly just remarkable that they're able to do that. Yeah. I got a chance to talk to Mac Barnett a little while ago, and he mentioned very much of what you're talking about, which is that collaboration, but also that you're letting go far earlier in the process mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, you write it. And of course, at a certain point, somebody else is going to edit it and tell you what they don't really like about it. <laughs> and But with a picture book, you that happens so early on because there are so many people that are going to look at it and interpret it mm-hmm. and sort of have their hands in the pot. Yeah. I would think, do you find that that, is there anything that ever comes back to you from the illustrator that then causes you to change text? Sometimes. Yeah. Um, actually in Big Mean Mike, there's a scene. So Big Mean Mike in the book, you know, drives a car and, and of course it's a convertible. I didn't, I didn't write it to be a convertible, but as soon as Scott drew it that way, I was like, obviously, obviously he would, he would drive a convertible. That's who Big Mean Mike is. Right. There's, a scene, there's a scene where the bunnies all are like, you know, stalking him and they like fill up his car. And in the original text, he's afraid to leave them in the parking lot, like in the closed up car. Like he's starting to leave. Oh. And then he's like, oh, I can't just leave them in there. Right. Um, then Scott drew it as a convertible. I'm like, well, that now doesn't work, you know? And so, but I was happy to rework it because the convertible was perfect. So I just had to change that part of the story to like, to just go better with the illustrations. But that was, that's always the first example that comes to mind. I think it happened in Marilyn's Monster too. There was like an order of events that changed because of the way Matt drew the illustrations. We were like, oh yeah, this is beautiful. Like, let me just switch these two things. And it's, I don't think it's ever happened in the way that I didn't agree with. Like there's never been a like, oh, now I have to change it, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> like, oh, this is great. This is so much better. Let me like adjust the text so now it works. Yes. And I think you're right. I like what you said about the sooner that you let go and accept that that's a good part of this process, then the more you can enjoy it and kind of see that what that creative, creative collaboration can do. Yeah. And now it's fun. Like now when I'm writing, I'm like, what can I take out? Like what, you know, how much space can I leave? I have to stop myself sometimes from going too far the other way where I don't provide enough now. I'm like, let's just see what, 
<laughs> I've given you 10 words. <laughs> Illustrate it. Go. Now go. <laughs> yes. Right. Read my mind. I, that's such a fun process. I'm slowly starting to work on a children's book and I'm amazed at how different it is. And it's for all the reasons you're describing and in both wonderful and really intimidating ways because you can see how anything is possible, but that means anything is possible. So if you tend to be an overthinker, and here's where I raise my hand, then you can get stuck. Yeah. Tell me about your middle grade series. It's my middle grade series. So this, I have them right here. Fantastic. Dragon of Trellian is the first book in that series. And this was the first novel that I wrote. And I, I don't, you know, like I said, I'd always wanted to write novels. And I kept thinking, like, eventually I will feel like I am ready to write a novel. Okay. And then like years would go by and I wasn't doing it. And I was like, okay, maybe I should just try it. I'll, I'll just start and see Yes. Let's just get in the pool. Yeah. Like, which is the right thing to do. Like, you're never going to like wake up one day and be like, today I am ready. Like, it just doesn't work that way. In, I mean, at least as far as I know, not to anybody that I know. Or <laughs> I would agree. I don't know anyone <laughs> like that either. I didn't really, I didn't, I mean, I literally knew nothing. I just started. I just started. Like I just sat down and like started writing words and, and basically like every sentence I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. I guess this is going to happen. Oh, okay. I guess this is happening. And I just, and I just kept going and I put all my favorite things in it basically. So it's a friendship story. There's two main characters, a boy and a girl and who get to know each other and, and like are just all my stories at their heart are, are about like love, like unconditional love and like friendship and, you know there's some significant relationship in all of them. So it was a friendship story. It had dragons. It had magic. I remember when some of the fantasy novels I really loved growing up were the ones that really got into the magic and you, like, you almost felt like you could do it because they would describe like how, you know, they were casting spells or whatever. Yes. And so I tried to do a lot of that and it was really fun. Like I just, I really just worked at throwing in everything that I loved which made it a joy to work on all the time. And then eventually I was like, okay, I have to figure out like where this is going. And I think I literally made a list of like things that need to happen in this book, like things (laughs) that I had introduced or like questions I had raised. And then I sent it, it was like three fourths of the way done. And I sent it to my agent because I was like, is this terrible? Like, should I keep going? You know, like waste my time. And luckily she was like, no, this is great. Like finish it and we'll send it to your editor. And Luckily, my editor at Candlewick, who worked on Library Lion and worked on most of my books since then, like there are some editors who only work on picture books and there are some that only work on novels and she works on everything. So we were able to work on the series together. And that's also really helpful because especially since it was my first one, there was a lot wrong with it. Like, you know, and she's so gentle. Sarah Ketcherson, Mm. editor at Candlewick. And um, (laughs) she writes me these lovely letters like maybe you would consider <laughs> taking out half of the characters. You know, like <laughs> she kind of just comes to it in such a lovely way that I'm like, oh, it's not that it's not that terrifying. So it made the whole first novel experience a lot easier than it than it could have been, or a lot less painful. I won't say it was easy because it took me a really long time, and it was a lot of work. That makes sense. And I did write it as I thought it was just like a standalone novel, but I always leave. I mean, because stories are never over really, right? Like even at the end of a book, there's always, there's always a place that it could go, you know, it's the end of part of the story. And so there were definitely things I could pick up on. 
And so I, by that point, loved these characters and wanted to spend more time in that world. And my editor was like, yes, we would love to have another one. Do you want to write a sequel? And I was like, oh, sequel. But then at that point, I was like, all right, let me, I feel like there's two more. Like, let me plan out all of them, which was better. And I, and I didn't learn this lesson for Evil Librarian either. But if you think it's going to be a series, like, I, you know, make all, like, I didn't, I didn't set things up in the, perfect ways. You know, I had to like figure out how now to make things happen or like I hadn't necessarily kept careful records of like how far it was from this place to this place or, you know, lots of little details that I then yes. had to sort of back, what's the word, like back map, you know, like to make everything work for the next two books. And then I didn't learn that lesson and I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, as my friend Margo always says, sometimes we do things the hard way. Yeah. And that's just how it works. That's really interesting that you say that though, because when I was reading Evil Librarian, I felt like I don't want to give anything away. I don't even often read the backs of books because I don't want to know as much as they're going to tell me. So I'm not going to say exactly, but there's a certain part in it that as soon as I read it, I was like, oh, these are the next two books would be this happening and this happening. I bet you can. We're, it's like we're talking in a secret code. I'm so excited. So maybe like, let's, I'll give my unconscious more credit maybe. And like, maybe some part of me knew. That oh, it was okay. But you weren't mapping it out that way from yeah. the beginning. And so therefore there was a lot more work to go back and figure out what you had done. Yes. And I, I think that was also because that was my first young adult novel. And so I also felt like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. Like, I don't want to plan this whole long thing. And then what if nobody wants to read a second book, you know, and, and then I've ended it on a cliffhanger or like, that would be terrible. Like, <laughs> that least, would be cruel. There's never another one. This one could be a complete thing. Yes. Well, I think that lends also to the completeness of the book. I think it makes for a more satisfying reading experience where mm-hmm it does stand alone, but then maybe the next one builds on it. So, right. but this seems to be a theme for you called, I'm not sure if I can do this. I'll just start. <laughs> oh, yeah. look, I did it. And I'll write two more. Yes. That, <laughs> that seems to, I, you know, never realized that that was the pattern, but that seems to be what I do. I don't think that's a bad pattern to have. <laughs> I think it's very prolific. I'm so impressed truly when I was reading Evil Librarian and I was tearing through it last night. I just kept thinking, Michelle contains multitudes. This is incredible. (laughs) I really was so impressed. It's funny. It's sharp. It's, and, and I'm not a big horror person. I'm kind of a baby. So I honestly was a little bit intimidated when I picked up the book. I thought, am I going to enjoy this? And it's perfect. It's just the right amount. Very light on the horror. It's much more funny than scary. Yes, it is more funny than scary. And I just, I love the relationships and some of the comments and some of the stuff you wrote in the, where one of the characters says, well, that's a good thing. And Ryan says that he's a librarian. And I just was laughing out loud. (laughs) It was so funny. So I can't wait to finish it. And I will definitely be reading the other three. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I did have a question on the cover design for this one. Did you have input on this? Because I think it's so clever. I mean, my input was like, oh my God, it's amazing. Like, that's... <laughs> That's my input. No, I can take absolutely no credit. Matt Roser is the name of the designer that did that cover and the two other ones. And they're all beautiful. And it was such, I mean, that first one, especially, right? Because it just everything they did, even like the little tape on the spine. Yes. Those are all the details I noticed since I am a librarian. So of course I'm yammering on about putting the books with the spine facing out all day long. Mm-hmm. And this, it's so clever. And I loved the card on the back too. Just so many neat details. Oh, and all the dates, they even like the dates that he picked for the back are all significant dates, either from the book or, or like from my life. I can't, I can't of course now remember what they all are. Oh yeah. February 22nd is my birthday. Okay. Um, September 9th, 2014 was the pub date of the book. October 31st, Halloween just sounded, you know, it fits really yeah. for evil librarian. That is so, I love hearing that story behind it because that's what I mean. The illustrators just have an ability to think about detail and how to incorporate it into their art that I find miraculous, really. (laughs) They're just so incredible. So I've got some writing questions for you. I know you're working on a book, another book with your illustrator, Kevin Hawks, that you worked on Library Lion with. Now, when you're working on something new, do you like to talk about it or do you keep it pretty close to the vest? When it's in first draft, I don't talk about it. Okay. Because it I don't it just feels feels wrong and bad. Like I, I can't <laughs> let anyone else in, you know? Yes. It drives my mother crazy. Cause she wants to know and be supportive. And I'm like, you know, I'm working on a like a book for like a fantasy novel for this audience. And she's like, and and like and stuff happens. I'll tell you after. Like, <laughs> yeah, I can't talk about it, mom. But the picture book with Kevin is done. I mean, okay. it, you know, I'm not done like tweaking it and stuff, but he's, he's working on sketches. So I have finished my part so I can talk about that one. Okay. And so what is Luigi about? I can't wait. Of course. So Luigi is about a big spider who is mistaken for a fuzzy kitten. He's a furry spider. Okay. And this, this older woman sort of finds him under the couch and is like, oh, a kitten. I've always wanted a kitten. And he's very confused. <laughs> and it's sort of about that experience and how that, how that plays out. And it, I, I worked a long time on this book because I, there were so many different drafts. And it's finally, now it's all from the spider's point of view, which is what finally made it work. Like his experience sort of of being of the mistaken identity. Yes. And then sort of he comes to, he comes to really like it. He's like, oh, like this is how, this is how kittens live. Like, <laughs> I, I would be a kitten. And then he's invested. Then he's terrified that he will be revealed for not being a kitten and have to lose all of this stuff that has now become so important. And it's another like 
weird friendship story, you know, mm. older woman and a mysterious creature seems to be my picture book go-to. Yeah. <laughs> so. With those two. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's sweet and it's, hopefully it's a little funny and I am terrified of spiders. So it was interesting also to write this book. You had to make a little peace with your arachnophobia then? Yes. Well, the name Luigi actually comes from, so I was between apartments at one point and a lovely friend of mine let me stay in his house upstate until I found my new place. And it was in the country and it was great, but there were lots of spiders. And he oh. was up there with me for a while and then he came back to the city. And so I was up there alone and there was a big spider that was like living in the ceiling boards and I would see him every once in a while. And so I named him Luigi, like, so I could talk to him and sort of, you know, emphasize how very important it was that he stayed away from me and like yes. tried not to be visible as much as possible. Cause I won't kill them. I, cause I know that they're good and it's not their fault that I'm afraid of them, but I can't like, what if it touched me? You know, like I can't. <laughs> it's so true. So it's that nice conversation, right? Luigi, I respect that this is your place. And if you can just stay up there, that would yes. be great sort of thing. I, I'm going to adopt that. It, that's it a, helps. Yeah. That's an excellent idea. So that is where the name came from. Yes. And he's, you know, there's no other relationship between them except the Luigi in real life was also rather fur. I mean, it was like, I feel like it was a wolf spider, right? One of those oh. country spiders that we don't get oh. in the city. And yeah. Too substantial, you know, like just mm. bad. No. I mean, give me a daddy long legs any day of the week, right? I'm totally yeah. happy with, no, it's still, still bad. Yeah. <laughs> now you're picturing it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that, and I haven't, I don't know what Luigi's going to look like in the book yet. So I am trusting that Kevin is going to make him adorable to the point. Maybe this is my therapy. It like help me finally overcome. I did yes. explore therapy too. I like, cause it was becoming a problem. Oh my. So the spiders were really a, not good for you. Well, there was a period of time where they would get in my car and then oh. I, like the being trapped in a small space mm. with one was mm. not. So now I've gotten a lot better. Like I had to let one crawl on me and it just having that experience actually does help. Like whenever I encounter a spider, uh, I can remind myself, okay, like there was one on my hand and nothing happened. I'm going to trap and it. And this is the okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is, that, that makes sense though, especially with the car thing that would really jam me up because there is something about that. Yeah. The being enclosed spaces with, I'm yeah. with you. And they're drawn to me, of course. So like no one else, it would explain, they're like, why are they in your car? I'm like, I don't feel like there are rules about all the windows have to be rolled up once it gets dark and like, you know how they were getting in. It was Anyway, it was all oh, towards this book. It really was. I can't wait for it to come out. And then you will know why the spiders have been attracted to you for so long. They, <laughs> that would be you're my... like the spider whisperer. Oh my God. <laughs> that, that's the worst thing you've ever been called. Perfect. Great. <laughs> Achieved. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for your nightmares anytime. As I'm saying that horror isn't my thing. Apparently it is. <laughs> I really thank you for sharing about <laughs> the process and also, of course, yes, things that terrify us. There are so many. When we first moved to California, we had some rats that were very happy in our attic. Mm -hmm. And I became 
pretty crazy about the whole thing. I mean, I was definitely on pins and needles and I would walk outside and there were times where I would walk out to the garbage bins and say, if you're out here, please stay where you are. Just don't, just don't come out and, and we can cohabitate and this is fine. Right. So, so I really can identify, but my entire family was like, you need to get a grip. And I said, no, actually I don't leave me alone. (laughs) Do you, okay. So I have a couple more questions. Do you have advice? So I work in an elementary school. And by the way, when I was explaining to them that yesterday, because I'm always telling them what I'm up to, and I said, I'm talking to the author of Library Lion tomorrow. And some of them can't remember by title, and I didn't have the book in my hand. And I said, remember, Mr. McBee was in it, because every time I read it to them, I say, Miss Merriweather. I'm sorry. I (laughs) picture him having kind of a nasal voice, but I still love him. (laughs) But especially when he's saying that phrase in the early ones, I just... Miss Merriweather, all sort of. And they went, oh yeah, we remember that one. So I love to be able to give things to them. Do you have advice for my young writer friends? What would you tell them about writing? I think the most important thing is to not be afraid of doing a bad job Mm. because you can always go back and fix it. And you should always go back and fix it. The thing that you write the first time is never the final thing if you're working on a story. And so I tell myself that all the time, because if I was afraid of being, if I thought it had to be perfect, it would be very difficult for me to write anything because I would be so afraid of making a mistake. So when I'm talking to kids, I always tell them, like I show them the first draft of Library Lion, which I wish I had it to be able to show you, but it's like written on the back of envelopes and it's like, things are crossed out and there's arrows and like, it's a mess. And I'm like, this is how my stories start. Like, they're just a mess. And I, and I write things down. I'm like, oh, that's terrible. And I cross it out. And that's okay. Like, all that matters is just kind of moving forward. It's, it's, it's like my process. Like, just start. Just start. Just start. Yeah. That's don't excellent. don't be doing a terrible job. That is excellent advice. Because I know for those of us among or who walk the earth and maybe slight perfectionists, I don't know any of them. It's not me, but I've heard of them. Yes. 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 But- that's such a good reminder that don't be afraid of having it be bad because that's where you start. I love that. Thank you. And so two more things. Number one, do you have a favorite Marvel movie? I did not tell you I was going to ask you this question, but then I was looking at your website and I saw that you like Marvel and I felt an instant connection, of course. Gosh, that's really hard. I know. It's really cruel, actually. I'm sorry. You can think about it and get back to me too. Okay. (laughs) Really hard. It's definitely not Endgame. I can say that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Endgame. Oh, every time it comes on, my husband turns it off right at a certain point. He's like, we're done here. We know what happens. We'll pick it up in Infinity War. Okay. So it's not Endgame. You can get back to me later because I think we can discuss Marvel movies. Maybe we can rank them on the side. Okay. <laughs> It'll I mean, be a good. I can say, I can say probably the. The first one that I, well, but was this actually the first one in the chain? See, now I have to go. Well, I really love the first Iron Man. I will say that. I thought that was, that was one of the ones that got me super excited. And like, I've seen it many, many, many times. I do love the first Iron Man. I agree. Out of the three Iron Man movies, that was my favorite. Definitely. Okay, good. Well, we're aligned on that, which is the most important thing. So my last question for you is tell me something that you're not good at that you wish you were good at. 
Oh, there's so many. So, <laughs> so many to choose from. Oh, I mean, this might be a boring one, but it, I wish I could sew. Like, I can't sew at all. Like, I, if I want to sew on a button, I have to watch a YouTube video. And then I still don't do a good job. And it's really, I would like to be able to just, do, like, I have friends who were like, oh, I bought this dress and it's great. But like, I just have to take the straps up a little and hem it and they just do it. And I'm like, how, how, how does a normal person do that? I don't understand. It would be, it would be cool. I will totally agree with that. And my mom is excellent at sewing and she tried to teach me when I was younger and it was a, it was a failure. So I can relate where there are times where, there are times where I've even outsourced the button situation to the dry cleaner, I have to say. I have so. done the thing. Oh, good. I'm so glad. And I know my mom's just going to be so disappointed when she hears <laughs> this. Julie, you can sew on a button. <laughs> my grandmother like made her own clothes, like a whole wardrobe of clothes and quilts and embroider. And yes, I know. It's not in me at all. Where did that generational knowledge go? Because you're exactly right. Everyone could do it. And now, I mean, some people can do it, but not you and me. No. Oh, well. <laughs> Can't be good at everything. <laughs> Shucks. <laughs> Michelle, this has been such a joy to talk to you. And I know I mentioned it, but I'm loving seeing the rest of your catalog because I've loved Library Lion for so long and some of your other picture books. But I really am so impressed at your young adult offerings. And I can't wait to read the middle grade fantasy. And I have no doubt what you're working on now will be exciting. And when you tell your mom and everyone else, then <laughs> I will be first in line. Cause I just, I think you do a tremendous job of also writing about feelings and relationships and friendships, like you said, but in a way that makes it so accessible and it feels so true to life. And I think that's one of my favorite things. And even reading Evil Librarian, those relationships feel very real. You do an excellent job of writing people's care for each other. So thank you for what you do. Thank you, Julie. That's this really is, nice. <laughs> I mean, it's easy. This has been really a really fun conversation. I'm so glad. I feel the same way. I've had a great time. So thank you. This was a pleasure. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Ask a Librarian. As always, it's my joy to share and learn with you. You can follow me on Instagram at juliewritesWords, or you can go to my website, juliewritesWords.com. There you'll find the show notes, including all the books mentioned in the episode. See you in the stacks next week. And until then, friends, never go anywhere without a book. 